Heights. Thank you, Joe, for that prayer time. And thanks, team, for great worship. Wasn't that good this morning? It's always good to come to the presence of the Lord and just and worship Him together. Well, if you have your Bible, we start a new series today, like Joe mentioned, the book of Esther. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, if you kind of look at the structure of the Old Testament, uh, the book of Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. It's called the, work, the, the books of Moses because Moses is the primary author. It's also called the Pentateuch, which means five scrolls or five containers. And anyway, that's the, the first five books. And after that, you hit Joshua. And then Joshua, all the way through the book of Esther, so it's Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. That's all the history of the Old Testament. So once you get to the end of Esther, right, the Old Testament history is over. But then you still have a lot of books left. Well, then that begins other types of literature. You have uh, what's called the wisdom literature and the, and the poetry literature, like Psalms and Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Job. And then you go into the prophets. And so uh, Isaiah all the way through Malachi, that's the prophets, major prophets, minor prophets. So that's kind of how the Old Testament is set up. So what we're going to be looking at in the book of Esther is at the very end of Old Testament history. And so we're going to talk about that as we get started in the book of Esther today. It's called the Unseen God. And that's because God is actually, how many times is God mentioned in the book of Esther? Zero. Like, wow. Well, how did it end up in the Bible? That's a great question, right? Um, but it's, it's just always been part of the word of God. And it's been struggled like Martin Luther, the reformer back in the 1500s. He really had a hard time with Esther being in the Bible. But then you have other people like Jonathan Edwards says, Esther's one of the most important books in the Bible. So it's just, it's just, it's a powerful historical account of what happened among God's people. And even though the Bible never mentions God in the book of Esther, God is very present. And so that's what we're going to see. And I think it's a really good message for us today, the book of Esther, because a lot of times we may not acknowledge that God is with us, even though he is. He promises he is. Jesus' his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so even though we may not recognize him or see him, he is always working in our lives. Amen? Always. And he is sovereign. He's orchestrating. He's maneuvering things in your life. And so, and he promises us that even when the bad things happen, he's going to leverage it for the good, for our good. So, so many great promises as we get into the book of Esther. So, but before we dive into reading, I just want to highlight some things that Joe prayed about. Yeah, we, um, tomorrow's a big day for some staff. We have, um, Emily Hamby is starting, uh, her new role as the ministry assistant. Some of y'all remember Joe Set. Y'all know Joe Set. Well, Joe Set took a new job as the headmaster of Victory Christian Academy. And so, uh, we rejoice for Joe Set. You know, Joe Set, she did a great job, but Emily's going to do a great job as well. And then tomorrow, we voted on Pastor Tyler a few weeks ago. He starts tomorrow as the, new pastor of student ministries here for the Oakville campus, now that Justin is kind of doing the campus pastor at uh, the Webster campus. And then, um, you know, uh, a few years ago, we had uh, Gabby on staff helping Pastor Martin in the children's ministry. She was part-time. Well, now with our new structure, Martin's got some additional responsibilities. We felt we need to give Martin more help. So uh, Emily Smith will be starting a week from tomorrow to help Martin in the children's ministry full-time. So, and there's a lot of kids back there. I mean, if you if you go if you get to go back there on a Sunday morning, we have more kids now back there than we did before COVID. So awesome. Praise God for that, right? So it's good stuff. So anyway, so we need the help. And so we're excited about uh, these folks starting their tenure. And thank you, Joe, for praying for them as we uh, continue to pursue what Jesus has 
for us, following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, Webster has the hard launch. I've been asked that question, what does hard launch mean? Well, that means all of our systems are in place. The new sign is up. Our children's ministry is in place. Our hospitality system's in place. It's it's all on, right? We, we're going to do some outreach before leading up to that, you know, and so that's the hard launch. We kind of go public that it's no longer the Groves Church. It is now Canaan Baptist Church. Webster. And so that is September 17th. So be praying for that. Uh, It's a big day. Be praying for that. And as we get ready for the outreach coming up, um, we'll let you know about that. Participate in that help out um, because this is, we're one church family. Amen. And so it's exciting to see what the Lord is doing. All right. So on to the book of Esther. We're going to start here reading uh, just the first uh, nine verses. We're going to actually cover all of chapter one today. But so if you could please stand and honor the reading of God's word. So there's, we're going to introduce a king. It's the king of Persia. The ESV calls him Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. So say that with me. Ahasuerus, right. That's kind of hard to say. And that is his, um, that is his name in Hebrew, or in translated Hebrew. Greek, we call him Xerxes. Xerxes is a lot easier to say. So I'm going to say Xerxes, okay? Just, so it's the same guy, right? Yeah, okay. Anyway, just like my name's Daniel, but in Spanish, it's Daniel. Uh, I'm Daniel, right? Anyway, we're going to call him Xerxes. All right, so here we go. Verse 1. Now in the days of Xerxes, the, the Xerxes who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 province, in those days when King Xerxes sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all of his officials and servants, The army of Persia and Media, the nobles and the governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains, violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen, purple to silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. Drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. And Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Xerxes. All right, let's pray. Lord, as we begin this uh, study of this ancient text of this historical event that you've preserved in the book of Esther, God, I just pray you give us wisdom, give us understanding, open our hearts to not only hear the truth, but also, Lord, to see how your truth applies to us here in St. Louis in 2023. And um, so, God, we know that your word is timeless. Uh, your word does not return void, and it accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. And so, God, we pray that you accomplish in our hearts, in our minds, in our families, in our church family, the purposes you have for us through this teaching and study of the book of Esther. So Lord, be honored in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. Well, if you uh, have your sermon notes out or if you have the, the, the app opened up, you can go ahead and take notes. Um, <clears throat> kind of 
we're going to kind of look at big picture stuff this morning and kind of do some introduction and delve briefly into the text here to see what else is going on, right? And sort of really to understand the fullness of the impact of the book of Esther. We really got to go back to the beginning, right? Because the book of Esther, if you've never read it, by the way, they're showing Esther right now in sight and sound down in Branson. So if you're into that, it might be good to do while we're going through Esther, if you have that ability, freedom, finances, et cetera, right? Um, but the story of Esther, right? It's, it's about, what we're going to see is it is about a, a group of people, particularly one man named Haman, who is very racially prejudiced against the Jews. He hates the Jews. And he concocts this plan to totally eradicate them. We're talking genocide. So Esther deals with the issue of a possible pending genocide of the Jewish people from the face of the earth. But God had made a promise, right? And God always keeps his promises. Amen? Always. And that promise really goes all the way back, if you really want to be truthful about it, all the way back to Genesis. Right after Adam and Eve had sinned, um, God is pronouncing the, the consequences to man, woman, and to the serpent. And here he's talking to the, the serpent, Satan, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he, meaning the offspring, will bruise your head, but you will bruise his heel. So it was this promise given right after the first sin, the first couple, right? that there would be from the woman someone who would destroy Satan and his work. And of course, we know that ultimately that is Jesus Christ. This is called the first gospel. But God made that promise here. And later on, he's going to reiterate that promise. He reiterates that promise to Abraham as he makes a covenant with Abraham, who is called the first Hebrew, right? The first Jew, if you will. And so through Abraham, he said, "You're, you're going to be the father of many nations, right? But through you is going to come the one who fulfills this prophecy, the Messiah. And so there's these promises that God has made. There's these promises that God has guaranteed would take place. And so even though, as it's going to look like, it looks like it's ultimate doom for the Jewish people, we know God is faithful. And God will never, just say never, never allow one of his promises to be broken. Amen to that. And so that's, that's a major theme we're going to see here in the book of Esther. Um, kind of, I put it in your notes this way, through his providence, it's kind of a summary of Esther, through his providence and in keeping with his promises, God places Esther and her uncle Mordecai, we'll meet him next week, in positions of power to preserve his people and punish his enemies. Pretty cool. You see, the thing about a promise, how many of you have made a promise before? Yep. You're one, one of these, you know, you definitely have, right? Made a promise. The thing with us making promises is we have all the intentions of keeping them, but how many of you, if you're honest, how many of you have broken a promise before? Come on. Fess up. You're in church, remember. Right? Yes. Why, why is that? Why do we break promises? Well, when we have a sin nature, we're sinful. That's why we need a Savior. But also, sometimes we can make a promise, and we have every intention of keeping that promise, but there's an issue also with us. Not only are we sinful, we're also not omnipotent. We're not all powerful. We're not in control all the time, right? You may have made a promise to one of your children to be at a ball game or at a recital or something, and your boss demanded you stay late or whatever, and, and therefore you had to break your promise to your child because you really didn't have much of a choice unless you wanted to lose your job. You aren't in control. You don't have all, you're not all powerful to ensure the keeping of your promise. God is. 
God is all-powerful. God makes a promise. He also has the power to make sure that promises is fulfilled, right? And so we praise him, and we see this here in the book of Esther. So Xerxes, um, which is his Greek name, he reigns in the Persian Empire from 486 to 465 B.C. There's an artistic rendering of him. Um, Pretty fella, huh? And he reigns, and here Esther, the book of Esther gives us the dimensions of his rule. And here's kind of a, a map that shows the reign of his rule. But it says here from India, which you see over here in the east, all the way in modern day India, right there on the Indus River, there on the east. Um, and then all the way west, as far down into Africa as Ethiopia, modern day Ethiopia. You see Thebes down there and kind of southwest of Thebes, kind of pushing on into the modern day Sahara. So his empire was vast. And so here the scripture gives us this, um, these boundaries of his empire. And, um, <coughs> and so he was, the, he was the son of Darius the first. And at the beginning of whose reign, he had sent the Hebrew people back. Darius was his name, uh, title. Cyrus was kind of his name. We see this in the book of Haggai. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. And so he, Haggai, which is also a prophet in the Old Testament, was talking about these events of sending the Jewish people back to Jerusalem to rebuild. All that has happened, right? And if you kind of look at the Old Testament timeline as a whole, you see we're going to be way down here on the far right. And so you see the years here chronicled, but down on the far right, we're in the, the post-exile era is where we are, right? You see, you kind of see Esther's name under there after like the about 500 roughly um, BC, kind of on into that, going to be like 480s, 470s BC, because that's when Xerxes is ruling. So that's the historical timeline of what all is going on here in the story of Esther. So the history of the Hebrew people that gets them to this point, um, just real fast. So they were in slavery in Egypt uh, after Joseph in the book of Genesis. uh, uh, It was roughly 1840 BC. Moses led them out of slavery towards the promised land in about 1440 BC. Then Joshua uh, led them into the promised land, the land of Canaan. That's where we get our name. Canaan is promised land, the land that God promised his people and Joshua lived in there about 1400 to 1350 BC. And then you have the, the period of the judges, which lasts roughly 300 years, uh, a roughly seven to nine judges. Um, and they repeated this cycle of disobedience to God, and there would be an enemy, then they would repent, God would rescue them. And then after that, Israel got his first king, King Saul, in about 1020 BC. And Saul was followed by David, then followed by Solomon. And that constituted this time called the, the, the United Kingdom, Israel's monarchy right there. That's, that says 1350. That should be 1050. It's a typo. Anyway, Israel got the king. And then after that, Solomon's son Rehoboam um, is not wise. The kingdom splits north and south, right? And the northern kingdom didn't have a single godly king. And so they're completely destroyed by Assyria in 722 BC. But then the southern kingdom continues. And then Babylon defeats Assyria. Babylon takes all the Jewish people in the southern kingdom, Judah, captive, destroys Jerusalem. And this is where you find like Daniel and all those guys, they go into captivity. That's the period known as the Babylonian exile. Within roughly 539 BC, Darius I, which is which is uh, Xerxes' father, conquers Babylon, defeats them, and so Persia, the Persia Medo-Persian Empire, becomes the empire over God's people, right? And that's where we find the story of Esther, Cyrus, which is again um, Xerxes' dad, lets the Hebrew people go back, rebuild, 
And now Xerxes comes onto the scene. And Xerxes is all about Xerxes. He is very focused on his own glory. And that's what we're going to look at today. And here's the big thought we're going to look at today. Bring it into an application. Every day, you and I, we get to choose the one we serve, right? We can serve ourselves, we can serve others, or we can serve God. And how we live this answer, the answer to the question who we serve, how we live this out determines the path that we're on, right? And the path that we're on determines our destinations, right? You know, Andy Stanley, one long time ago, did a book called The Principle of the Path. Really, really good, logical, biblical truth. The path we're on, the path we choose determines our destination. So today we're looking at, today's called the destructive path, the path to destruction. This is the first thing we look at in your notes. So this is the path that Xerxes is on. <clears throat> and Xerxes goes down in history as kind of the guy that really blows it for the Persian Empire. Um, so anyway, let's look at this. So we see with Xerxes that this path to destruction begins when we chase our own glory. So look at what he's doing here. Um, in the earlier part of his reign, it's the third year actually, he brings his army. Remember, it's two empires kind of combined together, Persia and Media. They come together called the Medo-Persian Empire. And, and so he's throwing this big party. And who, who is this party meant to honor? Xerxes, that's right. Um, it'd be like you throwing yourself your own birthday party, right? Which, you know, happens. But um, this was more than that. This was very lush, very elaborate. In fact, you get to verse four and look what he says. He says, while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for 180 days. Now do some quick math. How long does this last? This is a six-month party. This is a six-month banquet to honor himself. Pretty humble guy, huh? He's chasing his own glory. And anytime we do that, anytime we find ourselves beginning that pursuit, that chase of our own glory, that chase of our own wealth, being proud of ourselves, that's going to start us down a path of destruction. King David did that. King David one time <coughs> wanted to do a census to see how big and how great his kingdom was. Well, did God take kindly to that? No, he did not. Because whose kingdom is it? It's God's kingdom, right? David had to face some consequences. It was pretty extreme consequence for chasing his own glory. Well, the antidote to chasing our own glory that goes down the path of destruction is chasing the glory of God, chasing God's glory, chasing God's favor, his renown, which Paul reminds us of in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do what? Do all, say all with me, all for the glory of God, everything. Not just the big things, not just your spiritual things, but everything you do, chase the glory of God in it. Like in your workplace, what does that look like at work? What does it look like if you're in the workplace and <laughs> let's say you got a boss, you, 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 get, you get along with, but you know, you're, not, you're not a fan, right? What does it look like to chase the glory of God in how you serve your boss or serve your company or how you work, your work ethic? Does your work ethic bring glory and honor? to Jesus? Are you, are you standing out because you're chasing the glory of God and not your own glory in your workplace? 
Or you're like most Americans, you're just in your job to chase money and success and that sort of thing. Get beyond that. We're, we're called to live differently, aren't we? We're not called just to be like everybody else. We're called to be holy. You know what holy means? Set apart, other than, right? So you should, in the way you work or the way you live your life should set you apart from the others. Not that you're high and mighty, not that you're more righteous. No, not at all. We're all sinners. If you're saved, you're just sinners saved by grace. You just have to be a forgiven sinner made into a saint, right? But you should live your life differently because we're living for one who's greater than we are. We're not living for ourselves. We're living for Christ. We're living for his glory, his renown, to the point where if someone kind of watches your life casually at the workplace, right, or at school or at college, they should be thinking to themselves, Why, what is so different about him or her? What is the deal? You sh- the way you live should strike that. In fact, Jesus tells us that in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, let your light so shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify the Father who's in heaven, right? That's what that's all about. We should be different. And here, we learn from Xerxes. Xerxes is the typical human living for self-glory, self-gratification, self-aggrandizement, if you will. That's what Xerxes is living for. He's living for him. And so he begins this whole thing of chasing his own glory. And then we're going to see, number two, he's going to demand his own glory. So let's, let's read on here, right? So on the seventh day, so a week after this party started, the king was merry with wine. So he's a little tipsy. And he, so he commands these, these guys, I'm going to read all their names. There's seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Xerxes. And he tells him to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. So what was, what was he doing? He was demanding that even his wife, Queen Vashti, come out and perform to show off her beauty because she was Xerxes' wife. In other words, he was going to show off his glory that he had in his wife, right? And so he demanded his own glory, even from people he should have been serving. You know, a husband is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church, which means to serve his wife, you know. And, and in Ephesians 5, 21, when Paul lays out the roles of the husband, the roles of the wife, he said he first started in verse 21 by saying, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, right? So here, was Xerxes submitting himself to Vashti? No, not at all. He thought Vashti was just another servant, just a, an object. And so he's trying to show her off, demanding his own glory. So the path to destruction will continue. But the antidote to demanding our own glory is to be humble, to humble ourselves, right? To, and humble means to place ourselves beneath, submit, to place below, to humble ourselves before the Lord. <clears throat> Scripture tells us so many times, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up in the proper time. So that's going to continue. But now, what does Vashti do? She refuses. Uh Uh-oh. Now it's on. Verse 12, the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. Hmm. So here we see that this path quickens. We try to force our glory after being denied our own glory. 
You want to know if you have a humility issue? How do you respond when you are turned down? How you respond when you say, honey, I know it's uh I know it's my turn to cook, but did you make dinner tonight? She says, No. What do you do? Or, you know, or kids, you know, hey kids, I know it's my job in the house to take out the trash, but can you do it right now for me? Nope. Let me go to last week to the discipline, right? Last week, if you weren't here, we did a sermon on disciplining our children. So how do you respond if you're a boss at work, when you're employee, you tell one of your employees to do something and they don't do it? How do you respond? Again, there's some proper authority measures to take, but how, how does it attack your pride? How does it, how do you, what comes out? You know, how the old saying goes is what comes out is what you're filled up with. If you're filled up with humility, love, and grace, you're going to respond humbly. If you come up with, with defensive and offensive terms, right, and comments and try to force, oh, but it might be a pride problem there. See, I, I think here's, here's where we're going with all this, right? As, as we go through this, we see, we see a lot of us in Xerxes. You know, Xerxes is the bad guy, Right? And we don't tend to think of ourselves as bad people. We think we think of ourselves as good people, right? But that's not the gospel. The gospel is, no, we're bad people who need to be saved. I mean, good people don't need to be saved, right? But Jesus, I came for the, I came for the unrighteous, not the righteous. Of course, the irony there is there's no such thing as a righteous person, right? But we got to see, we got to be honest that there's a lot of Xerxes in us, a lot of chasing our own glory, a lot of demanding our own glory and a lot of temper and anger and wrath when our glory is denied, right? So Vashti refuses. Well, the antidote to quickening this path is to deny ourselves. What did Jesus say in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, when there comes, hey, we want to follow you, we want to be your disciples. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself take up his cross daily, cross meant death, and follow me, right? So denying ourselves is embedded in this whole thing of following Jesus. You know, it's on Gage's t-shirt, follow Jesus. Well, to do that is daily, denying self, taking up our cross and following him every day. It's humbling, it's self-denying. That's what it is to follow Christ. But a lot of times we don't want to do that. We want to chase our own glory, demand our own glory. And then we get, get pretty honoring when our own glory is denied, which leads to the second truth we're going to see here. When we chase our own glory, we are actually chasing our own deaths. So let's read what happens here. So he's enraged. He's mad. Verse 13. So the king says to the wise men who aren't so wise, who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being, and there's all these names, we're going to skip over that, right? The seven princes of Persia, just like the council, who saw the king's face at first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? But she has not performed <coughs> the command of King Xerxes delivered by the eunuchs. So then Mimukon said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the, the king 
has Queen Vashti done wrong? But also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she didn't come. So this very day, the noble women of Persia and Medea, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. Wow. What is going on here? The king let out of his pride, and it only stoked the evil pride of the other men, which squelched the role of women, squelched the, the beauty of marriage, right? And so now, because of the way Xerxes acted, it's now like that's, that's the standard. That's the way it should be, right? And what is Xerxes' message and how he treated Vashti? All that wives, the beautiful wives are just to be shown off, right? As if they're trophies, object. Have you ever heard the term a trophy wife, right? That's the way Xerxes saw things. And that's not any way close to how God sees women, right? Women and men are both co-heirs with Christ, both equally created in the image of God, right? And in scripture, talks about value. Galatians says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so we see this, this wickedness that's going on with Xerxes and how his example, his pursuit of his own glory, right, is now corrupting others who are now seeking their own glory alongside of his glory. See, it's, it's like this epidemic. It's contagious, right? I mean, how do you think such wicked leaders like Adolf Hitler rise to power? Because as he pursues his glory, others alongside him see, oh, I can have glory in that too. Where was Judas Iscariot's fall? What was his problem? Because he thought, I'm watching the money for the guy who's going to be the king of all kings. This is good, (laughs) right? No, it's not. He was pursuing his own glory. Anytime we pursue our glory or someone else's glory other than God's, it leads to ultimate death. And here's Proverbs tells us twice, right? Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to what? Death. That's Proverbs 14, 12. Solomon repeats that in Proverbs 16, 25. The exact same phrase. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to what? Death. Here we go with Xerxes. So some truth here. When we chase um, our own glory, Uh, We're chasing our deaths. And when we are left as masters of our own little kingdoms, we can all be destroyed and become the very agents of destruction. Xerxes was actually leading the Persian Empire to its fall because he was chasing his own glory. And here he destroys his marriage. His glory destroys his marriage to Vashti. So as this historical account unfolds, because of Xerxes' preoccupation with his own glory, he becomes susceptible to a plot, as we'll see in future weeks, would bring destruction to God's very people. So not only is his (coughs) immediate action destroying his marriage, it's also setting the scene for him being able to be deluded and convinced to bring about the destruction of an entire people group, genocide. That's 
and his decision would ultimately bring about the destruction of Persia as a whole. Because lastly, his pursuit of his own glory takes him to the battle and war against the Greeks. He barely wins at the Battle of Thermopylae. Some of you might have read about that, right? There was a movie, I haven't seen it, but it's made called 300. It was a movie about the Battle of Thermopylae. 300 Greeks take on thousands of Persians. The Persians win, but it's a very embarrassing win. Kind of like the Battle of the Alamo. I don't know the Battle of the Alamo history, right? Yeah, just a few guys, Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, one of those guys in the Alamo, just, you know, I think it's like a hundred something against thousands of, in the armies of, of Mexico. Well, he barely went to Thermopylae. And then he did take Athens, but he was then defeated in a significant naval battle at Salamis. And most historians credit that that defeat spells the demise of the Persian Empire. Because then Alexander the Great would rise and the rest is history. So his decisions lead him to destruction. Let's just see how this finishes. Verse 19. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him. And let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before a king Xerxes. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all this kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. Well, this advice pleased the king obviously, and the princes. And the king did as Mimukon proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script and to every people in its own language, that every man may be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. Path to destruction. But there is another path. That's the path to hope. Path to hope, real quickly. Because of our all-powerful, sovereign God, there's always hope. As, as destructive as this first chapter is, as we see all the, all the signs of this going very badly for everyone involved, God is still at work. God is working. He's orchestrating. And this is the, the main theme of the book of Esther, that in spite of the fact that God has never directly mentioned, his actions and sovereign work is clearly seen. He has historically leveraged the wicked actions of mankind for his good. Back in the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 50, Joseph was betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, set up and, and falsely accused of attempted rape and put into prison. And all this stuff happened that none of it was Joseph's fault. And at the end, Joseph has the opportunity to get revenge on his brothers who started the mess. And what does he do? He says, for you men evil against me. But Joseph recognizes the sovereignty and the goodness of God. He says. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, Xerxes is evil, but God is good. Xerxes is the king of Persia, but God is the king and creator of the universe, right? God has the power and ability to leverage and use mankind, even evil kings, for good. Here in Esther, God is setting in motion the rescue of his people and ultimately sets in motion the salvation of mankind through Jesus. Do you trust? This morning, do you trust 
and the sovereign God of the universe. You trust that no matter what's going on in your life, good or bad, that God is still there. He is with you and he has a plan. You trust him to work out his good in your life. Which path are you on? Which path? Psalm chapter 1 says, enter, I'm sorry, Matthew 7 says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Hey, it's easy to go to our death. It's easy to go to destruction, right? It's easy to go out and get hooked on meth. It's easy to go become an alcoholic. It's easy to become promiscuous. Those are easy things. It's easy to get hooked on pornography, right? All that stuff is easy. You do it this afternoon. You can start this afternoon, be hooked, and it leads to your destruction. That's what Jesus says. And notice what he says. And those who enter it are, are what? Many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard. It leads to life. Those who find it are few. Which path? Which path are you on? Are you on the path of destruction right now, just doing what's easy? Doing what gives you the most pleasure? You're chasing your own glory, chasing your own satisfaction? Or you're living your life for the glory of God? See, we, we, in American Christianity, we kind of live in this myth, right? That if I want to be good with God, at some point in my life, I just got to say a prayer and sign a card and I'm good. That's, that's not biblical Christianity. You got to realize that. The biblical Christianity is following Jesus. Biblical Christianity is being saved because you recognize that God is good and holy and powerful and mighty. And I am everything other than that. I am sinful. I am limited, right? And I need, I can't do this by myself. I'm spiritually dead. And so by placing our trust in Jesus, we're born again, we're saved, we're rescued. We celebrate that. That's what Gage has done. That's why we celebrate with him. He's born again. He's saved. God rescued Gage. And now, because we're filled with the Spirit, we follow Jesus on ongoingly. And, you know, not just uh, did it one time. No, it's, it's an ongoing thing. I continue to follow Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as King. I pursue His glory, not my own. It's a way of a disciple. That's the path that leads to hope. Which path are you on? I mean, well, I was reading this chapter. I was going to be honest. I still see a lot of Xerxes in me. You know, pride and chasing my own glory, my own satisfaction, my own likes or dislikes. You know, it's, it's a convicting story. See, we all want to think like we're the Davids of the Bible or we're the, you know, we're going to see, we're, going to, we're the Esthers of the Bible or the Mordecais of the Bible. And that can happen some, but more often than not, we're the Xerxes of the Bible, right? That's why we need to be saved. That's why we need Jesus. So, path you on this morning are you on a path right now it's following jesus because remember the path that you're on determines your destination one day when we all pass away which is going to happen to all of us death rate in humanity is 100 percent. one day when you and i stand before god and he asks you the question what should why should i let you into my kingdom and you get that answer. One, what will your answer be? You know the right answer, right? The right answer is, because Jesus Christ 
died in my place. He has rescued me by faith. Will you hear these words? Well done, good and faithful servant. Or will you hear not so hopeful words? Which path are you on? I know this is, in, this is, this is intense. I get it. This is uncomfortable. But gosh, is there any more important topic to talk about? You know, I mean, we just had a funeral here on Friday. Hey Hopkins, member of our church for a long time, and she loved the Lord, but she was so concerned about people's eternal state. We do funerals a lot because, again, death rate's 100%. Not a single one of us have the power to overcome death. Can't escape it. Can't avoid it. We like to push it back and not think about it. We like to live in this kind of ignorant numbness, the reality of death. But folks, it's going to happen. So it's my job, my calling. Make sure you're ready. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you on the right path? Are you on the right path to hope? Or are you on the path to destruction? I pray that before you leave here in the next 15 minutes, you're on the path to hope. That you've yielded your life to Jesus, surrendered to him. Romans 10, 9, such a great verse. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, which means he is boss, he is ruler, which implies that submitting your life to him, you confess your mouth to Jesus, Lord, and believe, trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, it's not just fairy tale, folklore, legend. It's truth, right? That God raised him from the dead. If you confess your mouth to Jesus, Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Amen. Not if you get your life straight up. Nope. If you repent just right. Nope. If you get all the answers right. Nope. If you understand all things, nope, because none of us do. Confess through the mouth, Jesus Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him that you will be saved. It's a promise. Remember, we talked about God and his promises. Can God lie? No. Hebrews 6 says it's impossible for God to lie. Which path are you on? Let's stand. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. But God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Even when we were still at enmity with you. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die our death. Even though we don't deserve it. We don't merit it. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Enduring the, the cross, despising the shame, but conquering this insurmountable enemy of death that we have Jesus you overcame you conquered and now like you tell us in 1 John it's for us to take heart have hope because you have overcome the world and what is it that overcomes the world it's our faith our faith in you Jesus so I just pray right now that if there's anyone here watching online that has never trusted in you, Jesus, surrendered their life to 
to stop chasing their own glory or someone else's glory and instead to pursue your glory, to follow you. God, I pray that they would make that decision here this morning, Lord, for your glory's sake, because you died to rescue them. You died to take on the the justice, the wrath that we all deserve. You, You died and took that on so that we don't have to. Instead, we become free, free to receive grace and mercy, forgiveness, everlasting life, purpose for which to live in this life, for your glory. So God, I pray that you just do a powerful work here among us this morning. You're the Savior of the world, Lord, we ask you to save this morning. You're the great rescuer, we ask that you rescue this morning. You're the great deliverer, we ask that you deliver this morning. God, you're the great healer, the great physician. I ask you to heal, heal hearts this morning. So we just give this time to you. Use it for your glory, which we are to pursue. In Jesus' name.